Hi, I'm Jackie, and we're in a series called Lime Green, Reshaping Our View of Women. Today's episode, we're talking about being received knowers and shifting to becoming critical thinkers about spiritual issues that impact our lives. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of The Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here. We're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Let me start by saying, if you were raised in the conservative faith tradition, then most likely you were raised to be what's called a received knower. And like me, many of you have shifted out of that, but you don't always have words for it. So you're probably wondering right now, well, what exactly, Jackie, is a received knower and why does it matter? Great questions. When I did my doctoral work, I came across this research done by four women. You can read about their research in their book called Women's Ways of Knowing. And these women studied how we women come to know what we know, epistemology. And they found that the majority of women in the conservative faith tradition are called received knowers. And here's their definition of what that is. A received knowers do not construct their own knowledge, they receive it. They depend on authorities to tell them what is right or wrong. To a received knower, there is only one right interpretation, one right answer to a problem. Ambiguity or paradoxes cannot be tolerated. Ideas in life are to be predictable and clearly laid out. These women do not read, attend, or participate in anything their authorities do not recommend for fear it may lead them astray. Yeah, receive knowers. Don't construct their own knowledge. They receive it from authorities who tell them what is right and wrong. And unfortunately, what I've learned over time is that some of what we've been told about what it means to be a woman is not only limited and limiting, but sometimes it's downright dangerous for us. Like, I'm thinking about the time when I met this woman at a women's conference up in upstate New York. It was lunchtime. We were sitting at the table with a group of women, and some of the women at the table started to talk about submission, how women should submit to their husbands. And this woman to my right, I could see her out of the corner of my eye. She put her head down. It was a shame move, and I knew what it meant. At least I thought I did. Eventually, she got up and left. Now, it really wasn't my place at that time to challenge these women about their concept of submission. And quite frankly, my mind was actually more focused on the woman who left. And I sat there and prayed to Jesus in the middle of that lunch and said, Jesus, you've got to give me an opportunity to run into her and have that conversation about you know what. And after lunch, I headed back to my room. And lo and behold, in the hallway, guess who was standing there? Yup. It was her. She had no idea that that was where my room was, but there she was. I love it when Jesus does that stuff. 
And she asked me if she could talk to me. And I said, of course. And she proceeded to tell me how her, she homeschooled her four kids, all under the age of 12, and how her husband had been physically abusive. Ah, there it was. I thought so. He'd been abusive, and so for a time, she separated. But they're back together now, she told me. And I interrupted. Did the abuse stop? And I already knew the answer. By the way, she hung her head again in shame. Well, it's better than it was. And my heart sank. And she continued to tell me that her 12-year-old had started to act up. He had become rebellious, and she was concerned that it was her fault. And I was like, in what way is it your fault? And she went on to tell me that women at her church said that her son had been acting up and becoming rebellious because she separated from her husband. She hadn't been submissive. And then they quoted to her scripture from Exodus 34, 7. It says, the sins of the father are passed down. And I want to ask those women, did you read it correctly? Because it says the sins of the father, not the mother. And as I stood there with this woman, I I saw how those women, and I got to tell you, they're most likely like a women like I were, like received knowers. They're from that camp. They're just restating what they had learned about submission. And the image I saw was how scripture was being used to put an iron collar around this woman's neck, so to speak. And then there was a time I met a woman who shared that she no longer served in her church. She was now working um, in a nonprofit for helping women come out of prostitution. I could tell she was bothered by something. And so I asked her, why? Why did she stop serving at the church? What happened? And she said, well, I really wanted to be on the hospitality team at my church, but my pastor said I was too fat, that I would make Jesus, I wouldn't make Jesus look victorious. Yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. It's said. It's said out there a lot in the 21st century not just in some hick part of town. I'm talking in metropolitan areas like New York and Dallas. My point, somewhere in my journey with Jesus, I started to see that some of what we had received wasn't helpful, wasn't biblical. And in some cases, like with these two women, it was downright dangerous. I learned something back in 2011. I attended this Evangelical Theological Society conference. It's one of those geeky weekends where profs from around the world come to read their papers. They might have spent years studying a particular verse or a word or a theological concept, and they bring it together around this conference, and they argue it in front of all the other profs. And they might like, oh, and and, and this particular year, it was held in San Francisco. That's why I decided I was going to that one. I mean, come on, it's San Francisco. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I think in my mind I figured since it was San Francisco, this would be somewhat of a laid-back conference, even though it's a bunch of professors from around the, evangel- around the world and the evangelical world. And I arrived in my jeans with my yellow T-shirt that said, Jesus is my rabbi in the front, and my wild curly hair thing going on. And I walk in, and I knew immediately One of these things is not like the others. And that one thing was me. I mean, that room was full, full of old white men of Western descent wearing suits. Of the 700 papers read that weekend, only 1% were presented by women. 1%. I asked one of those women, what's up with this? 
And she said women are behind in academia because women weren't allowed to attend conservative evangelical seminaries until the 1970s. And so she looked at me and said, it takes time to catch up. So let me ask you this question. What happens when only one group gets to study and interpret our sacred texts? Furthermore, what are we missing because her eyes aren't on it? You know, one of the issues I tackled in my dissertation was how women preachers, how, they, how do they approach the text differently? Do they approach the text differently than men? And it turns out we do. And I don't think we do because of some God-given design. It's really more about how we raise girls and boys. Studies of developmental differences in girls and boys have found that connectedness and relationality are crucial elements in girls' development. This is in contrast to boys whose development involves separation and individuation. And so what that means is women will tend to see connectedness and relationality in the scriptures in places where men most likely won't. What's interesting is the scriptures themselves are so overwhelmingly concerned with interdependent relationships and community, aren't they? Rarely do we come across scripture written for individuality. And, and, and then there's God himself. He's the triune God, meaning in his essence, God is relational, always in community with himself. If this is true, and it is, then in light of how we women are raised, surely we are well-placed to interpret the scriptures. I would argue, and I have argued in my dissertation, that we women see things that men don't. Years later, I saw this play out in my life when I became a part of an all-male-but-me preaching team. I saw this happen right before my very eyes. As a group, we gathered, and we were talking about what series were we going to be teaching on, and we felt like we were at a point in our church where we needed to talk about how to deal with suffering. And so the men suggested that we study the life of Joseph, which is a great story to, to help us understand suffering. And I just thought to myself, well, how about Ruth? I mean, her life is a life of suffering. And it turned out none of the men in the room had ever taught on Ruth. And that wasn't surprising to me because in my dissertation, I also learned that men rarely teach on women in the Bible. What was amazing was they were game. They said, let's do it. And so we started studying the book of Ruth. To help them see this story from a female lens, I suggested that perhaps we read Carolyn Cuss's James book on Ruth. And in her book, she makes this observation about what Ruth endures in the very first six verses. I want you to think about this woman's life. And here's a woman looking at scripture, seeing it from a female lens. And what does she discover? In the first six verses, Ruth experiences famine, being a refugee, barrenness, mixed marriage, death of a husband and sons, widowhood, poverty, and a hopeless future. Yeah, she's a good choice for for studying suffering, wouldn't you say? This is what a woman theologian saw. Now, when one of our men decided that he would teach on Ruth chapter 2, he saw it from a very different lens. In this scene, it's where Boaz sees Ruth gleaning in the field. Remember that? And so this particular preacher decided to put up a visual aid to help us understand the scene. And he put up on the big screen a dazzling picture of a woman running through the wheat field. She wore a flowery spring dress and her backlit brown hair was bouncing, the wave hair like we see in the shampoo commercial. Now, 
I didn't grow up like Ruth gleaning, but I did grow up picking crops in the field. And I'm here to tell you, that is not how it looks. The point I'm trying to make is right before my very eyes, I was seeing what happens to the text when only one group, actually one gender, interprets it. Received knowers don't construct their knowledge, their own knowledge. They receive it. They receive what the authorities tell them is right and wrong. And I used to be a received knower. But somewhere along the line, I started to think that perhaps the view I'd been given, particularly about women, was limited and limiting and less than, and dare I even say it, even wrong. When I was in seminary, we had to write a position paper on the role of women. And at the time, I was teaching women, and I had no intention of ever teaching men, so I really didn't care that much about the debate. And I know that most of you don't either. But there I was. I studied, I researched, and I concluded, women can't lead or teach men. That was the position of my seminary. And yes, I read books and articles pretty much that aligned with my seminary because that's what received knowers do. And then one summer, I read a book where this woman made the statement that the early church was involved in goddess worship, and it really infuriated me. Like, that just couldn't be true. And I called all my profs to find out, you know, where I could get this information historically. And then I ordered every book I could find, about 60 books on women and the church, all that you could possibly think of. I put it in a laundry basket, loaded it in our suburban, and Steve and I and the kids headed to upstate New York to spend the summer with my extended family. And that summer in New York, I ended up with a broken back. And so I spent a whole lot of time on the couch reading every single one of those books. Now, in seminary, I had learned that there were two camps, complementarians and egalitarians. And these two camps interpret the problem passages about women in different ways. Think of these camps like um, Republicans and Democrats. And I knew that complementarians believe that women and men are equal in essence, but different in function, meaning different roles. Basically, men lead, women follow. In the fallen state, men will tend to be passive in their leadership, and women will try to usurp his leadership. That's basically to summarize what they think. Egalitarians say that women and men are equal in essence and function. They believe at the fall that equality between man and woman was disrupted. Now, instead of both having dominion over earth, their dominion is turned into domination toward each other. I think that sounds pretty accurate in light of what I see between men and women. How about you? I learned that in seminary. But what I didn't learn is that there were scholarly theologians, orthodox theologians from the conservative evangelical tradition who loved Jesus, held to a high view of scripture, who landed differently than the profs at my seminary. In other words, these scholars weren't liberal or fast or loose with the scriptures like I had been told. The only difference between the scholars I was reading, and did I mention I was reading about 60 of them, was their conclusions differed. Conclusions, ladies, that impact you and me. What they come up with, how they decide to interpret the text about our bodies, sex, marriage, family, work life. This isn't theoretical stuff. It filters down into your Christian family, schools, churches, books, conferences, podcasts. 
As a received knower, I learned that women didn't lead in the church. I also didn't know that we didn't have a lot of um, what's the research on women prior to 313 AD. There isn't a lot out there about what women did in the early church, partly because we didn't write about women. But definitely there's very little that we can see about women leading after 13 AD. And that's where a lot of people stand on church tradition. Women haven't been leading. Well, what I didn't know is that's because when Constantine became a Christian and made Christianity the dominant religion in the Roman Empire, that shifted where the church functioned. Prior to that, the church happened in houses. And we do have text and historical writings telling us that women did lead in church houses. Right? But then when the church is moved into the public arena, we see that women start to disappear from leadership. And that's because in the Roman Empire, in the public arena, women were restricted from being in that place. Oh, I didn't know that. I learned that back in Paul's day, women aren't allowed to study the Torah. And yet in 1 Timothy 2, the verse that so many times is used to restrict women from leading and teaching men, that Paul actually instructed the women to learn in silence. That phrase, learn in silence, is the exact same way we would expect a male disciple to learn underneath a rabbi. What Paul is saying to these women, to be silent, to learn in silence, it's radical. Somehow I didn't learn that. And it was on the couch that I discovered that my church fathers, the one in whom have laid the foundation for our theology today, they had a really low view of women. I didn't know that. Our whole foundation was built on a bunch of men who had a low view of you and me. Did you know that? Let me just share a few things that our church fathers said about us. And as you listen to them, consider how might this have affected the way we, things have been interpreted down through the centuries about passages that relate to women. Tertullian said, Do you not know that each of you is an Eve? You are the devil's gateway. You are the first deserter of the divine law. You are she who persuaded him, whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image, man. Augustine said that woman herself alone is not in the image of God. Man is. By the way, I heard that very same statement made by a complementarian theologian in the 21st century in Dallas, Texas. When Augustine considered what makes a man the image of God, his answer was man's mind. Augustine concluded that man's mind was more naturally inclined to contemplate higher things, whereas a woman's head's were filled with thoughts of lower things. Therefore, women should keep their heads covered. Quote, unquote, woman should be required to cover her brain. Why was woman made? Well, Augustine said for procreation. It wasn't for companionship. He went on to say that actually if a man needed a companion, he'd be better off with a male friend. That was a better companion than his wife. Yeah, these are some of the things that our church father said. St. Thomas Aquinas is probably my favorite. Listen to what he said. He said, women are dominated by their sexual appetite and that men are ruled by reason. Yeah, I've been a pastor for 20 years. I can't even tell you how many times women have come to me and said, you know what, all I want to do is have sex with my husband and every time I want to have sex, he just wants to talk to me and be reasonable. 
Did you know that for the majority of Christianity, the belief that women had high sexual appetite and men just wanted to reason was what held to be true? That's what they taught. Boy, has that theology switched. You know, received knowers, they don't construct their own knowledge. They receive it. The authorities tell them what's right or wrong. But now my received knower self on that couch was getting really challenged. And I have to be really honest, it's hard to have our theology challenged. Moving from received knower to critical thinker is very scary. I know that. That's exactly how I felt that summer. I kept thinking to myself as I was learning all of these things, what if this is taking me down that slippery slope, the wrong road? I so desperately wanted to be faithful to Jesus. It's interesting because now when a received knower woman comes to one of my events, I can see it in her eyes. I, I understand what the look is. I had it. They're a bit unnerved by my teaching. I get it. I was there. They've been told to stay away so they don't stray. One woman told me when she came to a teaching I was doing on submission, she said, if my mother knew I was here, she would say I was learning from the Antichrist. Yeah, I've been called a lot of things in life, but not the Antichrist. What I'm learning is there's humility in admitting we see scripture through our own cultural lens, and sometimes we might not have gotten it right. As Jane Austen said, seldom, very seldom, Does complete truth belong to any human disclosure? Seldom can it happen that something is not a little disguised or a little mistaken. At the end of the summer, I loaded our Suburban and we headed back to Dallas. And I was no longer scared. I was mad. I felt cheated. Why wasn't I trusted with the whole story? Why were some things withheld? Why had I been taught that this was the emphatic, dogmatic, right way to see it. There's no other way. I felt mad. I felt cheated. Many of you have experienced this, where you bought something you were taught from your faith community, only to find out later that it wasn't quite right or right enough, and you feel cheated. Well, I'd say, if that's where you are, that you're on the beginning of a journey of shifting of moving from being received knower to a critical thinker about the issues that impact your life. That's you and me on a journey to reshaping our view. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese. R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.